This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. And welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, what do you call 2,000 mockingbirds? What do you call 2,000 mockingbirds, Hank? Two kill a mockingbirds. <laughs> God. It's terrible. <laughs> Thank you to Shauna for suggesting that opening bit. Shauna wrote, Good morning, Brothers Green. One of my favorite bits that Hank used to do on Vlogbrothers was tell terrible jokes. Since you're both fathers, might I suggest that you open with some dad jokes? My brother's name is Ryan for real. Shauna. Shauna, that was a great opening bit suggestion. We got so many wonderful emails. Thanks to all of you. I also wanted to highlight Corey's. We might try this one as well. Dear John and Hank, perhaps this isn't funny enough to be the opening bit for a comedy podcast, but I thought it would be awesome if you guys opened the pod by simply sharing something good with us. It could be a joke, a bit of good news, a fun fact, anything that might lighten up the inevitably miserable, unawesome week that it is going to be. Well, Corey, that's a little bit unnecessarily negative. <laughs> A little bit, maybe. So what what should we call that? What should we call that bit, John? What should, What is that? Maybe we could call that bit one good story. So some weeks you're going to get dad jokes. Some weeks you're going to get one good story. Hank, I actually have one good story this week. It's not really uplifting, but it's weird. Okay. Okay, so there was this couple named Jerry and Rita Alter who lived in a tiny town in New Mexico called Cliff. And they had a secret. No. Rita Alter just died. Her husband died uh, five years earlier. And their secret was, Hank, that 31 years ago, they stole a Willem de Kooning painting worth an estimated $160 million and then hung it in their bedroom for the last 30 years. Uh, so that... Uh, how, uh, did they... Did they not show anybody? It was just for them. Did they steal it with the intent of... I guess nobody knows because they're dead now and no one will ever know. 
How did nobody know that this was there? But they lived in a three-bedroom ranch house worth like $110,000, and they had a $160 million painting hanging in their bedroom. You guys! Okay, I've, I've pulled up the story myself. They look like a lovely couple. They do. They look like your average American couple from the 1970s or 80s in, the, in these photos. They look like they could be our parents, John, and they seem quite happy, and they've got wine, in both of the pictures, so they like wine, but also they like stealing $160 million paintings. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I obviously, don't steal a $160 million painting, people listening to this podcast. No. If I can give you one piece of good advice, it's that. Well, but if you do, if you do, then definitely just die without having sold it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Just let it let it go back into the universe. Don't try to don't try to sell it and then and then have the money do it. Just like just wait and then you'll be dead and then nobody will know. Just you must. She must have known. She was just like, please, no one go into my house until I die. <laughs> I don't want to go to jail for the last extra, like the last two months. Jerry Alter was also a writer, Hank, and he wrote a story called The Eye of the Jaguar in which two people steal, wait for it, an emerald. That's how, that's how they never find you. <laughs> they steal an emerald, they take it out of a museum and bring it to their house, and the story concludes, and two pairs of eyes exclusively are there to see it. Oh, Oh, damn. Wow. Okay, what I need to know is if they also had an emerald. <laughs> right. I mean, they better be searching that house. Maybe they have an emerald, too. <laughs> so I've, I've read part of this article now, and they, they so the person who figured that this out saw it at, like, an antique shop, and it's like, or they own the antique shop where it ended up. And, and they were like, actually, I think this is real. So they called the museum, and they were like, uh, they, they basically told the receptionist, I think I have a piece of art that was stolen from you. And then the receptionist asked what piece, and he said, the de Kooning, and she said, hold, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So this, the painting has now been delivered back to its rightful place. And uh, it was definitely them that stole the painting and they just held on to it for 30 years so that they could have their two pairs of eyes enjoying their emerald. What a weird world, John. Yeah, I'm not sure that that technically qualifies as good news, but it's the news that you got, my friends. Let's move on to some questions from our listeners. This first one comes from Audrey, who asks, Dear Hank and John, my oldest friend just told me that her favorite painters are the pre-Raphaelites. Should I still be friends with her? I don't know how to get past this. Paintings and pain, Audrey. John, you're going to have to handle this one because I don't like, as far as I can tell, the pre-Raphaelites, I have no idea. No idea. That's the Renaissance? No, it was a movement that wanted to go back to a world pre-Raphael. That is before... Oh, so they weren't before Raphael. They were like, everything was good back then. Raphael ruined everything. Exactly. So they were 19th century artists trying to harken back uh, to a, you know, a better time, which there's a mm. long history of, of course. Nothing seems better than the past due to its being fixed. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's much less scary, at least. 
you, there's no way that like the world is going to end in 1854. Like it's just not going to happen. Right. Exactly. Everything seems survivable on account of it having been survived. Look, I think that there are times when you can judge your friends for their taste and there are times when you can't. And to me, this is one of those times when you don't need to. <laughs> like, it's not the same yeah. thing as liking, I don't know, what's something that's really reprehensible, Hank? Uh, Infowars? Great example. It's not like your best friend said that their favorite <laughs> artist is, I can't even remember the name of the host of Infowars. <laughs> well, that's lovely for you. I, I wish I lived in that world. But I'm not going to say his name, John. I have no interest in that. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I'm looking forward to not learning it. Okay. So I think you've just got to gotta roll with the punches on this one, Audrey. It's going to be okay. All right, Hank, this next question comes from April, and it's one of immediate concern. Dear John and Hank, how does the Eiffel Tower's bathroom work? I was up there a few days ago, and I cannot stop thinking about how on the second floor there were bathrooms, but nothing underneath them. Where does it go? In Paris, April. Uh, well, I've never been there. I've never been. Do you, have you ever used the toilet in the Eiffel Tower, John? It, it is factually inaccurate for you to say that you have never been to the Eiffel Tower. I've never been up to the top of the Eiffel Tower. And indeed, you don't need to. As April points out, the bathrooms are on the second floor where <laughs> we have definitely been together. To the second floor of the Eiffel Tower? Yes. Or all the way to the top. Did I go to the top of the Eiffel Tower and forget about it, John? I don't know if you went to the top of the Eiffel Tower. I know I sure as hell didn't. <laughs> okay, if I, then we probably didn't. Boy, if I have, then I really shouldn't put anything on my bucket list because I will just forget about it. But I guess everything's fleeting, <laughs> John. I guess someday I will forget everything because I will have died. I mean, it seems like we've switched bodies for this episode of the podcast, so I guess I'll answer the second uh, so I guess I'll answer the science question. The The way it works is that while there is nothing directly underneath the bathrooms in the Eiffel Tower, there are pipes that go from beneath the bathroom and then kind of like yeah. go along the sides of the tower and then go down into the ground that that is the way it works that's why there is a bathroom there but at least as i can recall there's not a bathroom like on top of the eiffel tower because that would have been more of an aesthetic challenge maybe i mean the nice thing about being up high is that gravity takes it all down and that's really what you're relying on with right. uh with with pipes is the the water pressure and the sucking and the rolling and the the gravity? So uh, yes. Otherwise, like there would be there are so many people who go to the Eiffel Tower. They must be making lots of waste, and y you don't you don't want to see how high up the Eiffel Tower would be if it just like kept being raised upon the pile of human human leavings <laughs> that uh, that were not piped away. <laughs> That's really, that's great. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for that image. I'm glad that I get to go forward in life having to imagine that. I don't remember very much about being at the Eiffel Tower, but I'll never forget that. <laughs> well, now I'm really curious how, how many visitors to the Eiffel Tower would just have to poop when they arrive for the, <laughs> well, I'm sure for the Eiffel Tower to just be completely buried in poop. Like how long would it take? 
Oh, I don't know. I'd like to see some stats on that. I, I think that's an interesting question and an important one to answer. And that we math. should probably put aside everything else that we do with our lives and focus full time on that. <laughs> Hank, do you know that uh, there's a picture of me taken just outside the Eiffel Tower? I didn't actually get to visit it. But while we were doing press stuff for Paper Towns, uh, we went outside mm. the Eiffel Tower to take a picture. And the picture mm-hmm. features Cara Delevingne taking like a rose and like touching it against my cheek and she looks extremely put together and high fashiony and i look like my schlubby self and it's sarah's favorite picture of me and she insists on putting it up like it amid the rest of our family pictures like in the family picture hallway so it's you, all totally you and normal your children pictures. and your wife and this fashion model exactly except for one picture of Kara with her arm around me touching my face with a flower with the eiffel tower in the background i found it i found it i'm looking at it right now <laughs> that is very weird it's so it's a weird. very weird photo <laughs> oh man it's on it's on pinterest like when Kara was taking the picture she was like this is so weird but she's so good like she's <laughs> such a pro she was like sure whatever i'll go to the eiffel tower and touch you with this weird flower oh man that's a weird fo- photograph john you look lovely you look very nice thank you that's my i, I was wearing my best suit it's a good by suit. a wide margin and that's better than any suit Thanks. i own by a wide margin that's for sure am i gonna have to get a suit um i mean yeah you i i have i've told you this before i think a lot of times but i'll tell you again you need to buy a suit it is a good investment for a person who has your job but, but i feel like that's not the oh man I just found the picture of her touching me with the rose, and it's so funny. <laughs> we'll put it on the Patreon. It's funny. Yeah. Oh, man. It's We'll weird. put it on the Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash John. You don't have to pay or anything to get access to this sweet, sweet picture. <laughs> it's very, very, very lovely and very weird. <clears throat> oh, there's also a cute picture of Sarah and me with Kara and Nat in the background making funny faces. I'll put that on the Patreon, too. These are, these are adorable. It really was a super fun time in my life, even though that particular day I had to spend 14 hours in a hotel basement answering questions from people who only spoke French. Uh, it, was still, it was still a great, great trip. <laughs> this next question, it comes from Beth, who asks, Dear Hank and John, a few weeks ago, I obtained a vintage school desk from my in-law's garage sale. While picking it up, they mentioned mm-hmm. that there was a freebie item inside the desk. That's exciting. That's always exciting. That item turned out to be a random tooth. Oh. Encased in gold. Hey! <laughs> Nobody knows who the tooth originally belonged to, only that they must have had poor dental hygiene due to the the state of the tooth. My question is, what should I do with this tooth? I don't want to put it in the box where I have all of my baby teeth. Okay. Of course you don't. Who, who, Who on earth would suggest that? But I want to give, but I don't want to just have it lying around either. Any thoughts or dubious advice would be helpful, Beth. John. What do you think about having your baby teeth still? Do you do you, do you have in a box of your own baby teeth? I have a couple of my own baby teeth, and I did recently take them out to show them to Henry, who's losing his teeth now, you know, losing his baby teeth now. And I was like, you know, this happened to your dad too. And Henry was like, I'm. this is gross. Why? Why did you keep these? And then that made me think, 
this is gross. Why did I keep them? But Beth, <laughs> Beth, we're not talking about you keeping your teeth, which is that's fine. A, a different question altogether. We're talking about you keeping a stranger's tooth that you inherited from your in-laws via purchasing a school desk at their garage sale. You didn't you didn't inherit this from your in-laws. You inherited you, you inherited it from a desk. You inherited a tooth from a desk. It's just you found some trash. No, no. You found some trash covered in gold. You need to sell the gold and throw away the tooth. However that works, I don't know. I assume you just go to one of the 10,000 places that say we buy gold in all capital letters. Yeah. And you're like, look, this one's wrapped around some trash. Do you want it? I actually think the best thing that you can do in this situation, Hank, is uh, when you have a garage sale, is just put it inside of something random, like put it inside of your Teddy Ruxpin. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, no, no teeth. No teeth inside of Teddy Ruxpin. That's terrible. No, yeah, I no, hate you it. Just, no, <sighs> you just glue it. You just glue it in as like a molar so they don't notice it when they first get the Teddy Ruxpin. But then like when Teddy Ruxpin starts to talk and he opens his mouth, oh, no. it's just <laughs> one tooth in the back. <laughs> No, it's, there's no batteries in the tank. You say, oh, you need to get batteries for it. And then when they open exactly. the battery compartment, it's just teeth. Just teeth, like 80 teeth. Ah, that's what you do with your baby teeth. You glue them into your Teddy Ruxpin. And then you sell the Teddy Ruxpin for like five bucks at a garage sale. And you scare a child for life. <laughs> okay. Well... Um, the great news is that you've got some gold, you've got some gold wrapped trash and that's way better than just trash. So that's not nothing. (laughs) Hey, hey, Hank, do you think that the people who listen to this podcast even know what Teddy Ruxpin is? It occurs to me that Teddy Ruxpin might not be a going concern. Oh, sure. Let's, uh, let's do a quick Twitter poll, John, and I'll let you know at the end of the podcast how many people know what Teddy Ruxpin is. I mean, Teddy Ruxpin is old enough that he ran on cassettes. That's all I'm saying. He is a tape-based toy. John, I am old enough that I ran on cassettes, so let's not be too mean. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Just doing the Twitter poll. I'll let you know what I'm done. All right, Hank, we got another question. This one comes from Rachel, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my close friend just told me he was planning on asking out one of our other friends. To put it lightly, our entire friend group has been waiting for this day for a year and a half, so I'm nothing short of ecstatic. Okay. There's one small problem. I can't tell anyone, and I'm awful at keeping secrets. I'm so bad at keeping secrets that I can't keep my own. I've known about this for an hour, and I've only told two people. That's <laughs> that's not good, Rachel. <laughs> well, is it us? Is it? Are we the two people? No. So um, you've told oh, four yes. people. Oh, we are the two people. Oh, okay, good. Sorry, Rachel. <laughs> Rachel, you're doing great. You're doing great. We are the two people. I, now I get your joke. How do I not ruin this surprise? I can't contain myself. Not from friends, Rachel. Rachel, I think, what if there was a thing where you, there was like, it was a website that was like Secret Keepers, and then you go to secretkeepers.com. Don't go there because we don't own this domain. I don't know what's there. And... And there's somebody there who can listen to your secret 
and be like, ooh, tell me more. That sounds exciting. And then you can just get it all out and tell the... But this isn't, this isn't my problem when it comes to keeping secrets. My problem is I forget that it should be a secret and I just say it. Well, that's obviously not Rachel's problem. Okay. Rachel desperately needs someone that she can talk she to, to talk about to yes. this secret. Well, she's found us, so that's good. We're providing that service, uh, not in like a really sort of rapid back and forth, but at least there's some communication going on. But yeah, maybe there's there's got to be somebody out there, some some stranger who will listen to your secret and have you listen to theirs. Yeah, maybe just go to the mall and uh, walk up to a stranger and say, hey, can I tell you a secret? <laughs> That's a bad idea. That's bad advice. <laughs> I take it back, Rachel. Don't do that. Don't do you're that. You're just like you're like getting a, getting chicken McNuggets. You're getting your chicken McNuggets at McDonald's, and you're like you're like, uh, <laughs> can I pay with credit? And they take the credit card, and you're like, hey, can I tell you a secret? Drive through, and they're like, may I take your order? And you're like, yes, but first, my- may I tell you a secret? Jim is about to ask out Pam. Here's my order. I order you to listen to me right now. <laughs> I have to tell you about like Pam and Jim. cheeseburgers and five minutes of your time because I need to tell you about this <laughs> Pam and Jim situation. Do not waste the time of service employees telling secrets. What if uh, there's a horse? Because the horse can't say your secret to anybody else. Mm-hmm. So what yeah. if there's a horse somewhere nearby that you can talk to? Is there Are there any nearby horses? Rachel, I'm going to expand Hank's answer just a little bit and say... Are there any nearby mammals that are non-humans? So if you don't have a horse, which there's a pretty good chance you don't, <laughs> maybe you have a cat or a dog and you can go to your cat and you can be like, hey, manhole, can I tell you a secret? <laughs> Pam's about to ask out Jim. I want to tell everybody, but I'm just going to tell you, manhole, because everybody knows you name your cat manhole. <laughs> We got it, John. I think we nailed it. Hank, good names good names for cats. Go. <laughs> Pants. Good name. More. Fidget. Keep going. Lighthouse. Yep. Polar bear. Yes. Straw. Dang it. Dang it. Dang it. <laughs> Polar bear. How I feel can like you... straw probably isn't a good one. <laughs> How can you know so many good names for cats? Like pants and polar bear. And then... <laughs> Also be the person responsible for straw and manhole as cat's name. John, I mean, okay, fine. You try. Names for cats go. Mr. Wiggles. Okay. Lady Macbeth. That was great. The Tudor Monarchy. Mm, That's not good. That's not good. (laughs) God. (laughs) Got distracted by Lady Macbeth. You could have just said Tudor. That's a great cat name. (laughs) Yeah. John, do you want to do a serious question? This one's from Anonymous. Sure, absolutely. Who asks, dear uh, podcast sifter through her person. Her name is Rosiana. I was born rich, like 1% of Americans rich. I don't mean to sound gross or boastful because it's actually something I struggle with. So here's my question. I hear friends, colleagues, family sometimes joke that my accomplishments were only available to me in the first place because of my parents, my education, my career, my relationships, etc. I'm afraid maybe they're right. Part of me just wants to accept my lot in life and move on, but I also feel like this is deeply unsatisfying. So what's the best way to get out under the shadow of my parents' triumphs? A nun, a mouse. Here's the thing. They are right in the sense that you do benefit tremendously from having privileges and from growing up rich. 
and mm-hmm. you have to accept that. Yeah, I mean, it's such a it's we do want to believe in our agency and that we are responsible for the outcome of our lives, and that is in many cases true. That is the that is the case. That is fact. Like we make decisions and we make good ones and we work hard, but it is not the only part of the picture. It's not the only piece, but understanding that that's not the only piece, I think is important, that you have advantages that you didn't necessarily earn or that you don't deserve and getting away from the idea of like, of like my responsibility, like how, how much am I responsible for what I have? How much agency have I had in that? And, and how much do I deserve what I have? Getting away from that, I think is really important and focusing more on what can I do? What have I done? How can I make myself healthier and happier? And also how can I make the people around me and my society healthier and happier with the resources that I have? And seeing it as not this like weight around you that says like, Oh no, I have to I have to have this thing that differentiates me and that also to some extent people might judge me because of into like this is not a weight, it is a resource and I should be using it to do the best thing that I can do. Does that make sense? I mean, to be frank, Hank, this is something that both our kids are going to mm-hmm. grow up with. They're not going to grow up tremendously wealthy, but they're going to grow up much wealthier than most people. And so it's something I've thought a lot about. And I, it's also that we grew up in a very privileged situation, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. And I think that deserving is the wrong way to think about it because you don't deserve the good things that you get in life. You also don't deserve the terrible things that you get in life. Like the fact that Hank grew up with a tremendous set of privileges does not mean that he deserves to have ulcerative colitis. I think deserving is just the wrong way to think about it. And instead, as Hank said, thinking about it as resources and what you can do for your social order, for the people around you, that's the way to think about it. So Anonymous, all we can say is wherever you are in life, try to use your resources thoughtfully and carefully. Yeah. And it sounds like it sounds like you are already thinking about that stuff critically, which is, you know, Good and better than a lot of people do. Hank, I've got another question from Anonymous. They send in so many emails. <laughs> Dear John and Hank, I'm not 18 yet, but I have recently been thinking about the Electoral College. If you don't know what the Electoral College is because you don't live in the United States, don't worry about it. If I am a Democrat <laughs> that lives in Colorado or Wyoming, does my vote even matter? Or if I'm a Republican living in California, since these contrasting, since these states never reflect a significant amount of people from the opposite side in elections, does my vote go away as it is in the minority? Should I move to Ohio just to have more of an influence? Georgian Democrat Anonymous. First off, Anonymous, there's a pretty good chance that being a Democrat in Georgia is going to be super relevant in presidential elections, if not in the next cycle, then like maybe two cycles from now. So don't move, please. (laughs) Uh, Secondly, I think that what gets lost in a lot of these conversations is that while the person who is president is very important in United States politics, it is not the only important thing. It is not Mm -hmm. the only important elected office. Local offices, Congress, the Senate, these are so important. And if we had a different Congress, we would have a different country. And so that's what I would say. Wherever you are, it makes sense to vote. Even if you know the candidates you're going to vote for are going to lose, it still makes sense to vote because it still sends a statement to the people in power that 
their power is less secure than they believe it and to be. It's, it's, and if you don't vote, all that says is I don't exist in this district according to myself. I am willing to be anonymous in this district. Uh-huh. I am willing to be anonymous in my community. I am willing for my political voice not to be heard. And I don't I don't think that is a good strategy. Any elected representative knows, and they might not, because of you know a lot of division right now, they might not be able to like represent this accurately or do a good job of it. But but they have to know that their job is to not represent just the people who voted for them. Their job is to represent all of the people who live in the place where they are. And it is much easier to do that if you see that there is a diversity of people in your place. And uh, and that's right. true nationally, it's, and it's true locally, and it's true on the state level. And, uh, and so having a diversity of voices at the polls is extremely valuable and that that like that feeling that like it won't matter for me to go out and do this that can be that can suppress that uh that instinct for it can suppress people from going to the polls if they think that their candidate is just going to lose but that results in even further polarization of the system yeah exactly so please i know that you're not 18 yet georgia well you're not named georgia you just live there (laughs) <laughs> we don't know it might be she, she, yeah, whatever they, they, might be they are georgia. named georgia not- i'm sticking with it i know that you're not 18 <laughs> yet georgia but when you are i hope that you will register to vote and vote and to everyone out there who lives in the united states or any place where you're lucky enough to be able to vote for your leaders i really really encourage you to register to vote if you live in the u.s you can go to vote.gov right now make sure that you're registered make sure your registration is up to date and if you're not registered get registered now because there are big extremely important elections in november it's true that there is no presidential election but nonetheless the elections in november are tremendously important indeed um and i also want to say to everybody out there who's named the same name as the place where they live that must be weird like george like all the people named georgia and georgia all the people named orlando and orlando that's just got to be weird Mm -hmm. that's all all the washingtons in washington yeah there's got to be tons of them yeah the oregons in oregon I don't know how many Oregons there are in Oregon, but you know. I bet know. there are a ton of Dakotas in the Dakotas. Oh yeah, tons. Virginia's in Virginia. What is the state, Hank, where there are the fewest people named the name of the state in the state? I'm gonna guess it's Wyoming. <laughs> yeah, just because there aren't a lot of people in Wyoming, and that's right. also not a very normal name. Yeah. Yeah, like I bet there's a lot of Cheyennes in Wyoming, but I don't think there's mm-hmm. a lot of Wyomings in Wyoming. I bet you're I bet you're right. I was going to go with Alaska, but Alaska is actually a pretty common name, especially because you made it a name in a book. And now more people maybe are more likely to name people that. <laughs> well, it is a much more popular name, certainly, than it was in 2005. I, I don't know that I made it happen, but it is a weird uh, coincidence. I, I'm not sure that we want to conflate correlation and causation, but <laughs> I did recently look at like a baby naming website, and there are more people named Alaska after the publication of that book than, than before it, which is a weird mm. thing to think about. I think it's. I think you did it. I think you did that. I mean, I used to, I remember when our, like, when I, when, when we were trying to name our kids, I spent so much time on baby name websites. Yeah. And then the, 
it's I mean it is a big deal. It is a big deal. You don't want to you don't want to you want to name your kid the right name. Um that's for sure. Okay. So okay, okay. All right, Hank. I've got I've got some actual stats here for you. In 2004, 3 babies per million were named Alaska in the United States. Hmm. In 2017, 49 babies per million were named Alaska in the United States. So Whoa, again, I don't know the extent jump. to which looking for Alaska is responsible for that, but it it is it has gone up by a factor of 15 or so. And after this Hulu show, John, everybody's going to be named Alaska. Well, we'll see about that. I mean, some people say it's going to be the new Emily or Claire. I don't even... What even is the most popular name? I, <laughs> John, can you tell me? Because apparently you know about a website I don't know about. How many kids in America are named Wyoming? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Wyoming is not in the top 10,000 names for either boys or girls. Hmm. I found a website saying that Wyoming is the 17,433rd most popular name for a girl, which how many babies are born in America every year? Because I feel like that's probably like last. That's just like there's one. Everything is tied for 17,000. There's always one. Every year there's one Wyoming. I think that's a beautiful thought. I think it's it's not. By the way, it's not a bad name. No, now that I've Wyoming's said it a, few a pretty times. good name for a boy or a girl. Like I feel like if I met somebody and they walked up to me and they were like, "Hello, my name is Wyoming Johnson," I would be like, Pfft. "I mean, that person's probably up to something interesting." <laughs> or a cat. <laughs> this next question comes from Pia who asks dear Hank and John what would happen if we put the earth into a big box and blocked all the sunlight from from it for just one second my friend says it would damage the earth considerably and we'd be really in trouble but I feel like that's a bit dramatic like surely the earth would survive without one second of light love the podcast by the way I always listen to it while I'm doing my morning workout so feel free to encourage me because I probably feel like I'm dying right now DFT Pia. Move it, Pia. Up, down, left, right, up, down, left, right, forward, backward. Those are all the directions. Obviously, Hank is trying to encourage you to remember how to do the Contra video game code, not how to work out. <laughs> You've got it, Pia. Keep oh, going. Up, up, down, up, down, 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 down left, left, right, left, right. right. B, A, B, A, start. Great job, Pia. Keep it going. Keep it going. Up, up, down, <laughs> down, left, right, left, right. <laughs> Uh, it's good Um, (laughs) uh, I know how to work out John what was the question oh I think we'd be fine yeah we would be totally fine one second one second of no light we would be okay yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think that that level of variation, like I think it might be somewhat of a big deal. You might you might see a little like a maybe a measurable drop in global temperature that day. But yeah, no, by far the biggest uh, issue with this idea is uh, is is the construction of this big box, which would which would consume <laughs> all of the Earth's resources, and also would only be around for one second. Yeah, and, and then what are we gonna do with it? Just. It's going to crash back down to the earth. It's going to fall down. It's raining particles of giant cardboard. I don't know what we made it out of. We can't figure out what to do with gold-covered teeth. How are we going to possibly figure out what to do with an earth-sized box? (laughs) What's it made of? Also, we didn't need to build a whole box. We could have just blocked the sun. That's not that big. (laughs) 
Yeah, you know who this would be a big issue for would be me, uh, because if all light on Earth for one second went away, I would be really freaked out for that one second. Because when there's even like a brief dimming of lights in a room that I'm in, I'm always like, Sarah, did the lights just dim? Are the lights? Did did you feel like the lights just flickered? Did the lights? Can somebody confirm for me that the lights flickered? Because I'm scared that I'm having a stroke. I was really, we, you know, I, the, the uh, solar eclipse happened fairly recently. Yeah. And uh, went, I remember. went over, over Montana. And I didn't experience the full eclipse, though I really wish I could have. And I really need to make it happen someday. But, um, but just going outside and watching it through my eclipse glasses, I was shocked by how cold it got during the eclipse. And I guess, like, of course, this makes sense. The sun isn't radiating on me anymore, but the temperature dropped like 10 degrees and the, the eclipse was never yeah. full. So it still looked like there was a sun in the sky, but it just like got chilly. It was really cool. No, it's wild, man. It's wild. It's weird. It's such a weird thing. We are so dependent is on, weird. That, on that death laser up in the sky. I know. Thank God for that death laser. Which reminds me, John, that this podcast is brought to you by the deadly laser sun. The deadly laser sun it's making you look old. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Teddy Ruxpin. Teddy Ruxpin, now featuring old human teeth. This podcast is also brought to you by, I don't know if you've heard about our new sponsor, the giant pile of poop under the Eiffel Tower. The giant pile of poop under the Eiffel Tower. The more tourists visit, the bigger it gets. And lastly, today's podcast is brought to you by Cats named Tudor Monarchy. Cats named Tudor Monarchy, even rarer than humans named Wyoming. It's true. I looked it up on the, the baby the baby cat name uh, list that the census puts out. It's uh, no so far nobody. But uh, John, also this podcast <laughs> is brought to you by the last two weeks. But also, John, this podcast is brought to you by the last week of the PodCon Indiegogo. So if you want to come and see us do a live Dear Hank and John and a live Delete This and a live Anthropocene Reviewed, you can go to podcon.com and there's a link there to our crowdfunding campaign where you can get discounted tickets and also things that are only available during the campaign. We very much appreciate people who are able to buy tickets early. That's why we make them cheaper and also encourage you to do it because it makes it a lot easier to plan a conference and less terrifying. So podcon.com it's going to be lots of fun. Also, we have a Project for Awesome message to read from Stuart Baker. Thank you, Stuart, for donating to the Project for Awesome this year to get us to read this on the podcast. Dear Hank and John, I discovered the Vlogbrothers through Crash Course World History. I enjoy the weekly vlog because of the respect and humility that you bring to this editorial format. You discuss important issues facing our shared world with suggestions on how we might collectively help to end world suck. Thank you for creating the Project for Awesome and the peace of mind that it brings with knowing our contributions make an impactful difference. Well, that is very nice of you, Stuart. Thank you. I would be happy to read that anytime, <laughs> not just for money. Absolutely. Just come back to it, read it tomorrow, the day after that, the day after that. Yeah. How how extraordinarily generous. Yeah. I have to say thank you to everybody who donated to the Project for Awesome to get Dear Hank and John related perks this year. Uh, I think they've at last all gone out. Our tradition of sending out Perks seven months late continues and will continue into next year. Oh, yes. So look for this year's Project for Awesome toward the end of the year so that you can get perks seven months late. So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr. Pepper. The off-brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your 
health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. So go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash Dear Hank. <laughs> this, this list, I've got another question, John. It's from uh, Rachel who asks, Dear Hank and John, I recently went to BookCon and received a temporary tattoo of the sculptures from an absolutely remarkable thing, which comes out September 25th and is available for pre-order now. My question is, where and when do I apply this tattoo? Do I wait for the release of the book or a sp- special day like Labor Day? Or do I just wear a face tattoo one day to work? Is there some specific part of my body where I should be applying this tattoo? Thanks. So no one told you life was going to be this, Rachel. Wow, that's our second friends-related Rachel. Second. It is. It is. <laughs> John, I have no idea. I just wanted to say that because I wanted to pl- plug my book. Oh. Because I feel like I, I must. <laughs> I think it's important to plug your book. We should also plug the tour. If you live in, say, New York or Boston or California or Indianapolis or Chicago or many other places, you should come see us on tour uh, hankgreen.com. You can go and get tickets and they come with a free book and a great show. It'll be super fun. I'm only on the first part of the tour. So that's 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 the ones that you should get tickets for. <laughs> Sorry, West Coast. It'll just be Hank. Yeah, it'll just be Hank. Um, so my rule of thumb is to apply a temporary tattoo as quickly as possible and in a place where you would conceivably want to get a real tattoo, but not like one of the places where you would get a real tattoo that only you and people who know you intimately would see. So like (laughs) the bicep, the forearm, maybe your ankle, that kind of thing. Neck. Yeah. One time when Sarah worked at an art gallery in Chicago, like when we first started dating, they had a show where the artist made temporary tattoos out of all of the artworks that were in the show and we got all of these temporary tattoos and Sarah had to like as part of her you know like employment managing the gallery like have one of the temporary tattoos all the time you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just a little Mm -hmm. it was a little weird and one of them was you know the song uh 99 balloons Uh luft what is it it's called 99 luft balloons 99 luft balloons one of them was um uh, that it was like an illustration of that or like an artwork based on that song that german song and uh mm-hmm. anyway this story is super important hank and i'm getting to its point the point is <laughs> that 
<laughs> the point is that one time we were like, she it was on her upper arm, and we were counting the freaking ninety nine lift balloons, and there was a one hundredth lift balloon. It wasn't even an accurate uh. artwork about the song that it was supposed to be about did you did you destroy it like there's ways to destroy temporary tattoos john no i mean it's just i don't i don't really recall what happened to the temporary tattoo but that whole it was like an eight week period where she had to have one of the artworks you know on her body oh okay it's weird art is weird maybe we should all be pre-raphaelites <laughs> Let's stop being so weird. Let's just go back to b- to before the Renaissance when everything was normal. Yeah, exactly. The Dark Ages. When, when people died of smallpox at 10. Just a normal <laughs> but, life. But when you didn't, when you survived, you made art sometimes, I guess. All right, Hank, we got another question. This one comes from Devin, and it's a very good question. Dear John and Hank, my work often stocks the Trader Joe's Key Lime Tea Cookies, which is all fine and well. They're delicious. I have one problem, though. My boss (laughs) has commented multiple times upon finishing one that they are, quote, spicy. Now, it keeps me up at night because I don't know if it's my place or my responsibility to tell a 40-year-old man that limes are, in fact, sour. Not trying to sour a work relationship, <laughs> Devin. <laughs> this is not a. This is like I. I know. I know that this might sound weird, but there's a. Their words have meanings, <laughs> and we can't just go around calling lime spicy. Can't do it. I'm it's, not gonna stand for it. I love this That's question what I'm here because for. Alice calls every food that is not extremely bland spicy. So to Alice. If something is physically hot, you know, like if it is very warm, mm-hmm. she'll take a bite of it and she'll, ah, spicy. <laughs> and then that's cute. But this is not a child. This is a 40 year old man. Also, if something is excessively salted, she'll take a bite of it and she'll be like, spicy. Yeah. It contains spices, I guess. Yeah. The best one, though, my favorite one is when she like eats a sweet tart. And I guess maybe this does get to Devin's point. She'll eat a sweet tart and she'll say, hmm, it's sugary, but spicy. (laughs) Well, that's apparently that's what this this boss person is saying. Yeah. But this is a sugary. This is sugar spice. Yeah. It's possible, Devin, that nobody, like, what if I never correct Alice and one day she's in a work environment at the age of 40 and she's like, God, these are great spicy lime cookies. I don't think, in general, it's very hard, it's very hard to correct people when they're doing, when they're doing something wrong that seems very obvious. It's hard when, it's hard even when you're peers, but especially when it's a person, you know, in a position of authority, it just feels very wrong to be like, look, sir. That's that's not that's not what spicy is. I don't know what to say. Right? No, it's the are unicorns endangered problem. Oh, yeah. The moment somebody says to you, "Are unicorns endangered?" You're in a heck of a pickle. <laughs> it's like, hi, don't know where to start with this. Maybe he thinks they're yeah. spicy. Maybe there's like some ginger in there, and it's giving him a little tingle. Here's what you do, Devin. You get your boss some Sour Patch Kids. For, I don't know, their birthday or something. Mm. And then they eat the Sour Patch Kids and they're like, whoo, spicy. But they look at the packaging and it's, it doesn't say spicy Patch Kids. It says Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> and that's going to be the moment of revelation and you don't have to do anything. Right. 
Right, right. And you also you also get like some some like red hot Cheetos too. And you're like, here's your birthday. <laughs> See the difference between these two snack foods? Do you get it now? And then you just keep, repeat this process every year forever until finally they get it. Yeah? I love it. Also, Devin, I love that you work at somewhere that has these very good sounding cookies. I, I'm very jealous. That's all. That's mostly it. But also, John, can we now from now on just call sour things spicy around our employees so that they think that they have to figure out how to handle this problem? Because is it possible that this boss knows full well that they are not spicy and is just playing a fun little dad joke here? It's just, it's it's all for a, a gag? It's possible. Yeah. It's possible. It could be a bit, but I, I suspect that it's just a little bit of misinformation that Sour Patch Kids can correct. Nobody, nobody thinks that Sour Patch Kids are an educational tool until they are, you know? Until yeah, they are. Yeah, no, it... It really is. It is about how these items are used in our lives. John, we're going to do one more question before we get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. This one is from Sunny D. Like the, the juice, I guess. The very, very spicy juice. Dear Hank and John, <laughs> I was watching some old Vlogbrothers videos when you were on tour, and you mentioned a Question Tuesday video about how every day you both will be abandoning one opinion until you have to come to some true core opinions. Well, right. I was wondering, did you ever figure out what those core opinions are? Did your strategy work? It's been a while since I really thought about it, and I wanted to reaffirm my values and opinions. I'm just not sure how to go about it. Like the orange juice, Sunny D. I do have, a, I do feel like I have a couple core opinions that have been revealed partly through the process of trying to give up more of my opinions, although I haven't been giving up nearly enough of them, to be fair. The biggest <laughs> core opinion I have is that hope is the correct response to human consciousness. That like mm. hope is not a delusion or a lie we tell ourselves in order to find a way to go on. It's actually correct. Uh, human lives have value and that compassion should always be a component of how you approach the world and other people. Another of my core opinions is that AFC Wimbledon is the uh, greatest achievement in the history of the human species. Well, I guess then that we should go into the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, John. Uh, I hear that AFC Wimbledon uh, played a game. Did they play a game? We played a game. We're back. The long, long summer has finally come to an end, although you wouldn't know it based on the weather in London these days. But yes, yes, Wimbledon are back. And not only are they back, Hank, we won our first game in League One. The first time we have won an opening day match in six years. Not only that, we were away from home. Not only that, we were playing Fleetwood, who were a playoff team last year, and oh, we won 1-0. Wow. And not only that, there has been a huge, huge upgrade in the quality of the AFC Wimbledon watching experience for the non-English fan. Mm. Uh, you can get the mm -hmm. I Follow AFC Wimbledon app. Uh, it is not cheap to get the TV coverage, but the TV coverage lets you watch the games on your phone or your tablet with commentary. So last Ooh. year, there was no commentary and there was no scoreboard. So you just had to kind of remember what was happening. But now it's like a regular TV experience, except with the radio WDON commentators who are hilarious and so charming. And so like watching it is now also a pleasure. But I watched the, the entire game and it was joyful. Wimbledon looked 
better, in my opinion, than they looked all of last season. The goal itself was hideous. Um, Joe Piggott, <laughs> the Maidstonian Messi, or as I guess we're going to be calling him, Joey Pigs. Uh, Joey Pigs scored in the 60th minute. And it was a really ugly finish. He just barely got a, a foot on the ball and it kind of dribbled into the goal, but they all count the same. And Wimbledon <laughs> really dominated the game. Fleetwood did uh, hit the inside of the post from like 30 Oof. yards out with a beautiful shot late in the game. But I thought Wimbledon deserved to win and we did win, which great. So off to a roaring start, thanks to a goal from Joe Piggott, I, I, a lot of the new players looked good. Mitchie Pins, Mitch Pinnock looked good. Uh, a, a very encouraging, very, very encouraging first game for AFC Wimbledon. You don't want to get ahead of yourself, of course. It's a long season, 45 games to go. We're going to win the league. Get those points, John. Uh, well, the news from Mars, John, is, uh, you know, not super great. There's was this hope. Um, that people have talked about that maybe there's enough carbon dioxide on the surface of Mars in Mars's like sort of like uh, inside of the regolith inside of the the ice caps um, frozen in in little pieces that if you could warm it up a little bit that CO2 would release into the atmosphere and then that would create sort of a heat trapping layer that would then warm it up more and more carbon dioxide would be released and then you would get more and more CO2 until suddenly just a little bit of warming resulted in a lot of warming and it was warm enough maybe and and with enough atmospheric pressure even that you could walk outside you couldn't walk outside without an oxygen mask on so that you could breathe the atmosphere but you could walk outside without like you know, suffering from decompression or uh, or being extremely, extremely, extremely cold. Um, so that would be really cool. But we've got two new sets of data in that are signaling that there probably isn't enough carbon dioxide trapped uh, on the surface in dry ice or even trapped in the rocks and soil of Mars. That if we released all of it, all of it, this is what the study says. It would create 15 millibars of atmospheric pressure. Mm. Is that a lot? Right now, you're probably... No, nope. you're probably sitting at 1,000 millibars right now where you are. And, I'm feeling uh, it. And that would not... I can yeah, tell you, I feel good. all 1,000 millibars. millibars. I feel a lot of atmosphere around me. It's holding all your all your parts in. It's holding holding the the. It's pushing all that that good oxygen into your lungs. It's great. It's good for you. Um, but fifteen millibars would be bad for you. So that's not going to be the only thing we need to terraform Mars. I'm not saying that there's maybe like a no way to do it. You just have to find other ways to turn the the rocks on Mars into gases because it's not just going to be the CO2 that's sitting around on the surface of Mars that will do it unless we're super wrong mm. about something, which, hey, we might be because, look, Mars is far away and we can only study it in very specific locations where we have landers or th by like sort of shooting, shooting different science beams at it. <laughs> uh, and, and, and studying the results of the science beams. Hey, 
You know, I don't think that that's a terrible, terrible way to put it. You don't want me to get into the details of how all of these things work right now. We do that in other episodes. But I just wanted to talk about the likeliness of that particular terraforming, terraforming scheme not being uh, super simple. We'll have to find some other some other places to get that the, those gases from. All right. Good to know. Well, I still believe that we will terraform Mars, but only after we destroy Earth. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, the problem with Mars is like, ah, oh, I just feel like if I'm living on Mars, it's going to be so hard for me to get like the really good food that I like from Earth. Like, is there yep. is is do do they yep. do they have postmates on Mars? Like, I guess once there's people there, there'll be Mars postmates for emergency deliveries of Indian food. One of the people who wrote in this week, Hank uh, suggested that the new AFC Wimbledon goalkeeper, Tom King, should be known as the keeper of the castle. And I like that a lot. Oh, yeah. Because he's the king. And the keeper of the castle. Uh, it's it's great. It's perfect. So yeah. I just wanted to get that out there. The keeper of the castle, Tom King. <laughs> I want to. That's it. That's okay. all I wanted to say. I was listening to you talk about Mars, but I was looking at AFC Wimbledon starting lineup. <laughs> you know, we all have to indulge in the things that we love, John. It's also, this was episode 150 of Dear Hank and John. So thank you to everybody for wow. listening to 150 episodes of Dear Hank and John, if you've done that. If you haven't, they're still on the iTunes, on our RSS servers, if you want to listen to them. Or, you know, it doesn't hurt our feelings if you don't. Yeah. No, start today. Make this the first one you ever listen to so you have no idea about the manhole joke earlier. Yeah. Or the fact that we got another question from Pia, and I'm wondering if it's the same Pia. Pia and the long con, uh, the violinist. Oh my God, is it, is it the same is it Pia? Is it the same Pia? Look it up, look it up. <clears throat> it's a different Pia, John. Okay, good to know. I'm glad. I'm glad that we established that. Hey, Hank, did you use your phrase of the week this week? I did use my phrase of the week this week, John. Did you use yours? I used mine, yes. Do you want to guess what mine was? I got I to gotta tell you, I have no idea. I wasn't paying attention at all. It was the 100th lift balloon, and it was not easy. But I did it. Oh, my. So that's why you made us keep that in. Yes. That's why you made us keep that story in. Yes, because it is the only oh way that I could figure out to put in the 100th Luft balloon. God, you just, you're just a liar. You just lie about things. Yeah, I just make up stories. Sarah did once have an art gallery show at her gallery in which there were temporary tattoos involved, but nothing of that level of complexity. What was your phrase of the week? I also have no idea what it was. It was emergency takeout. Got it in at the end there. Oh, wow. I mean, that makes sense because why else would you be talking about Postmates on Mars? But I was already looking at AFC Wimbledon's yeah, likely starting lineup for their next game. <laughs> I got saved. I got saved by John's distractibility. John, what did oh, we learn man, I today? I was like, I can't believe we're going to... I was like, I'm so excited that we're going to be starting Ben Purrington out on, on le the left. What? I'm sorry. What's going on? What What's did your we name? John, what did, what did we learn today? Oh, man. We learned that Ben Purrington's the likely starting left back for uh, next week's game. If We learned that if you want to get something over John's head, just wait until he's looking at football stuff. <laughs> We've learned, we've learned that if you want to keep a secret, just drive through. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, my God. And we also learned, John, the difference between spicy and sour. It's very important. 
Yeah, it's a significant difference. There's no doubt about that. We learned that there are at least two people in the world named Rachel who are concerned about their relationship with the show Friends. And according to the Twitter poll that I just looked at, we learned that more than half of people who responded do not know who or what Teddy Ruxpin is. Well, and also you didn't get any explanation for who or what Teddy Ruxpin is in this episode, so sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. It's a creepy animatronic bear that talks to you. Great. That's, yeah, no, that that, that, that about covers it. We're off to record our Patreon-only podcast This Week in Ryan's, the worst 10 minutes of your week. You can find out about it at patreon.com slash dearhankandjohn. Thank you again to everyone for listening. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our director of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. The music that you're listening to right now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. I'm Hank Green on Twitter. Nope. I'm John Green on Twitter. Hank <laughs> is Hank Green on Twitter. You can also email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, be awesome. awesome.